Hello. Hi there. I don't know how to intro these things. How does one begin a podcast when you don't have a name for said podcast? Well, you have a theme, so I think that okay. helps. Well, welcome <clears throat> to hashtag freelance of February. Yay! Freelance of February. This month is all about talking about being freelance, which means being your own boss, essentially. Things like... Exactly, female boss. Female boss. Well, today's... With no other co-workers, just yourself. Just me, myself, and <laughs> I. <laughs> the lonely life. <laughs> and today I am talking to my friend Mina. Hello. Who doesn't work in the creative industries, but she is a female, so I figured we have lots to talk about, about being female business owners. Do you want to tell everyone... What I do for yeah. a living. So, um, I have been open for one year as a child development consultant, and... I work with kids from age three to eight. Um, everything from confidence coaching to tutoring and um, any kind of emotional support for parents and giving them kind of help with our schoolwork. Um, it's still finding its feet in feeding footing. But um, I come from a background of nannying, so I went from kind of being employed to being self-employed and I... It's been a bit of a jump, a leap, so to speak. So that's where I stand on things. And you, Caroline? Oh, I was going to ask you what you studied. Oh, what I studied? Oh, yeah. Sorry, yeah, that makes sense. Oh, <laughs> sorry. I just suddenly fell into it. Um, no, I went and did child development psychology uh, as a master's. But before that, I did a psychology degree. Was going to do art. No, photography. But thank God I didn't. <laughs> my photography skills are shit. well i'm glad you didn't because i probably have your clients now (laughs) oh wow damn no it's true you're very very good and falling into that what do you do well i mean lots of things as well i guess we were saying before we started recording how you were like i don't know how to interview myself and i i still don't know because you don't want to pigeonhole yourself and say that look i literally just work with kids of this but i realize my specialism is kids of a certain age but I don't, like, what I enjoy doing. But I wouldn't say no to an uh, older child or a younger child. Depends on, you know, what the, what they wanted me to do with them. But I feel more comfortable saying this is what I've done. This is my experience so far. It doesn't mm. mean that that's all I'm going to do. I guess you're similar Yeah, I guess my, my specialty, to use the same word, would probably be doing Instagram and digital media content yeah. for, like, hospitality lifestyle kind of travel brands but then within that I also do strategy uh and then social media consulting brand consulting sometimes there's some graphic design thrown in there I just did a web design project this week I'm kind of less like if you do something and you want something digital I can kind of handle it or know someone who can. So did you start nannying before you started your undergraduate degree or did you pick it up while you were studying psychology? Like how did you get interested into it? um, I kind of fell into it. Um, I was in my first year of uni and the classic jobs were bartending, um, waitressing, coffee shop, everything like that. And I fell into the bartending world and it was just so late and nightclubs that I couldn't really study and focus. I saw this job in uh, Gumtree, back in the day when Gumtree was not a big thing, um, and it was just for like, I think it said babysitting, um, two girls, and then I went to the job and got it 
and they seemed nice enough and then that's how it all started because it was a higher rate of pay it still is in comparison to uh, other service industry jobs I guess I don't know if you count nannying as service industry but I do um, and it just kind of progressed from there because I thought okay now I've got one you just need one family underneath your belt um, that give you a really good reference and then after that you're sort of ready because it's just word of mouth um, they recommended me to another friend and then I went out and got my own job I went to agencies agencies can be a little bit uh, difficult to work with because if you don't have a certain level of experience or a certain level of not qualification but they, they want certain like they want to have first aid you want to have all the, I mean obviously the basic things it's quite hard to get your foot in the door especially if you only have babysitting as a background or not proper like nine to five nanny jobs if you're not a career nanny and also because they don't get as much money back at the end of the day um or commission but it's yeah I kind of just went from there and then when I finished my uh degree I was going to do my master's part-time over two years obviously being in child development psychology it made sense to continue working with kids and I started my first full-time proper nanny job with an incredible family and the mother is still technically my mentor and very good friend today so that's how my journey developed and went forward that's so nice yeah so it's been very organic and just yeah. gone with the flow I just went with the flow I was never one of those who just woke up and was like today I want to be a lawyer or today <laughs> I want to be a psychologist today like, I want to start my own child psychology business and work for myself well this is the thing like I mean I think when I first started, I everyone at school where I went to school knew what they wanted to do. Everyone had their shit together, and I screwed up my A levels. Like my GCSEs were average, A levels screwed up the fuck up. Like it's not even funny. By the way, if you didn't realize by now, we are in England, in <laughs> London. <laughs> Sorry, I should have mentioned that. Oh, true. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Oh, quick context. So I was brought up in the UK, and I am English technically, as you would say. Mm. And Caroline is. Australian. Australian. But I live in London right now. Yeah. Right now. So you can translate. From what I've watched of Skins. <laughs> because, yeah, okay. <laughs> From what I've watched of Skins, our years 11 and 12 in Australia are equivalent to your A-levels. Mm. You pick like five subjects that you do over the two years and then you have exams <clears throat> on them at the end and you get given a score, which then um, determines what you can and cannot study further based on, or where you can, based on your scores. Fair enough. Hmm. Well, my own was a freak accident because I was studying, um, after I did my levels, I did a foundation course in art because I loved art. I loved it as a hobby, though. I didn't realise it wasn't something. It wasn't until I went to a school in Reading for the art foundation where everyone ends up going to, like, St. Martin's or to, like, hmm. amazing uh, colleges and amazing universities that I realised, like, I'm not like these people. These people live and breathe it and I like doing the odd drawing here and there. <laughs> so, um... Yeah, I nearly failed that course, um, and then I had applied to do photography, and then last minute, I um, decided to do psychology, and it was the best decision I ever made, because, I mean, like, of being really behind on all my subjects, and not really being interested in general education, um, I went and got a first in psychology, which was like, oh my god. I'm actually good at something. It's like I can actually apply myself. I was one of the late bloomers in life. Um, and that's why I went on to do a master's. And I didn't... Everyone always ask, why didn't you go on to do a um, PhD? It was because I 
doesn't like the fact that when you work in clinical psychology, that word clinical sums up that you end up having a very big detachment from your clients. You can't work with them on a one-to-one basis, an intimate basis like I do, as a, as I did as a nanny, and kind of really get into like how children work and making that rapport. Mm. Whereas in um, for me, I mean, I might be wrong. There might be clinical psychologists around the world being like, oh my God, what are you talking about? But it's actually, you know, I just thought it was, there's too many regulations, there's too many rules, and it doesn't allow you to have that bond that you would as a nanny. Mm-hmm. And Because I never stayed with families for many, many years. I would, you know, one year, six months, eight months. So I got to know quite a few. And I think maybe it might be different for people who've been with the same family for like 10 years. so it's yeah they progressed that way and then I did psychology and now I'm finally working for myself because nannying had a ceiling anyone who's gotten into the industry will know that um, you could find an amazing family but in terms of raising your salary and getting rid of that nanny stigma that oh so you get paid to look after other people's kids and babysit it's really undervalued and I think Mm. as time goes on especially with like AI and everything like that those type of care jobs which a robot cannot do I've heard so many TED talks things about it that it's um, the only industry I guess that's technology proof to an extent um, that it's going to be more valued but it's it's kind of you know when you go to a party as you're growing up and especially when you hit your 30s and um, people are like oh you know I work in banking a doctor I'm a, what do you do I'm, I'm a nanny it's always it's got that hasn't got that kind of prestige if you care about that sort of thing um and also for me I didn't feel like I was using my full skill level it got to a point where I felt like okay I'm really good at this now and I can say that because any job interview I went for I would be like offered the job which mm-hmm. is unheard of which is why all the agencies wanted to just send me for interviews because they're <laughs> like she's gonna get us our commission and I'm like well thanks but this family isn't the one I asked for so it's, it's like a it's like a personal relationship do you gel with the parents and everything like that how do you how do you get along with them actually the children are kind of the last thing because they're the easiest to work with I've never met difficult difficult children you know um and you need to be able to fit in with their lifestyle what they want what they offer are you traveling with them so there's a lot of aspects to it and i have to do a whole nother thing on nannying in general just to kind of help people understand whether it's for them because a lot of people get into it with ideals and then kind of realize it's not what that's about not that it's a anything negative it's a beautiful thing to be able to do and i love all the families i've ever worked with and worked for but i got to a point where i wanted to do more and push myself more and come out of my comfort zone so hence why this made sense to do what I guess pretty much everyone my, I mean my dad did he never worked for anybody he always was his own boss so it I guess indirectly it makes sense now but at the time it was like why am I doing this why don't I just stick with the comfort of <laughs> a nice job nice salary you know, kind of uh, the reliability was really good, especially and and for those who who are getting kind of to the age of thirty, that you don't really want to shake things up too much. You know, you want to have that stability because you want to have that social life. Everyone has of money in your social life and um, in the social circle, and you don't want to be the one who's like, oh, I'm not sure if I can afford this and everything. Um, kind of living on a student budget, um, when you're older because you feel quite socially isolated sometimes mm. that's a whole other topic so 
how are you finding it? Young spring chicken. My young spring. Well, I, I like. I think we have both of us have very big differences in our work in the sense that where you're quite location dependent because you have to build relationships with the people yeah, that you and work they have with. to be within a certain mile radius of each other. I can't have yeah. one that's on the other side of London. And you and you are always you always have to be present in order to do your job to an Making extent. it remote has yeah. been the hardest. Yeah. Yeah, whereas my job is definitely a lot more remote and I feel I feel very grateful because that's like obviously what I want, which is why I work and strive towards like maintaining that as much as possible. Um, but it's it's been really good. Really good. I feel um I felt like for the, like the first 2 years working for myself, I didn't really have many business goals because I'm not a money-driven person. So for me, like a financial goal is not um realistic is not the right word it's just not it's not something that I would ever like really particularly set for myself purely because that doesn't motivate me so if I say I want to earn x amount of money per year I'm not really going to be motivated to work that much for me in order to like if I wanted to earn a certain amount of money my end goal would have to be something that's a bit more um like passion driven so it'd have to be I might need to buy like some more gear for myself so I need to up my hourly prices in order to be able to like fund it's reinvesting yourself in some ways yeah yeah so I'm like I I prefer like having goals that are about reinvesting into myself (laughs) my business and my services or that are I guess travel related because but then again travel related also means more work as well for Mm -hmm. me because I'll be in different parts well that's the beauty of it because you have the option to work anywhere Really, mm. like you, yeah. your your work is. I mean, for me, I need children. But <laughs> <laughs> there's children everywhere. But it's also children who have a specific need and getting to that network. And obviously, it's 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 a sort of bond that you can't just pick up and drop. And you know, like mm. do a project and then you leave it. Like help a child and then go. You have to be quite consistent in a lot of children's lives, and that means committing at least a minimum. I used to always say as a nanny a year. Mm-hmm. Um, or at least six months, but you, it's not something you could do as a day project or, you know, I'm trying to work towards doing what you do, which is being like more online and mm-hmm. presenting some sort of product or some sort of experience that I could sell so I can give more value to more families as opposed to being limited at the moment to the amount of hours I have in a week. And I think that, I think that's the good thing about the internet is that it is, um, bringing more opportunities for people like yourself who would normally have a more traditional, like, say, office-based job Mm. to a degree. Like, I know your office is often going to other people's houses Mm. or schools, but to a degree, an actual, like, in-presence person job and being able to bring those services to a wider audience, sometimes even for free online, but through things like e-books and, like, video courses and stuff like that. And I think that's, like, really, really nice that people might have access to those services that they might not be able to afford Mm-hmm. or don't have access to because of where they live as well, which is very, very cool. Well, that's true. I think my ultimate goal is not necessarily for people who can afford it, but for those who cannot and for those who um, didn't even know there was another way. Mm-hmm. Just to say, look, there, because I, I know my, my kind of talent, I guess, so to speak, is to get underneath the skin of pretty much any child I meet and be able to be on the same level as them and for them to get comfortable with me, whereas they might meet someone else. It takes them a long time to bond, takes them a long time to trust the person. I can do that quite automatically. Another thing we wanted to, uh, I guess, share with everybody who's interested, um, which Caroline mentioned, which I never really thought about, but we realised it might be actually an age difference 
possibly you were saying that when oh it comes goodness. to well we were, we were talking like the main theme of this podcast which we haven't even gotten to yet we've been recording for what now 26 minutes oh you're good at this yeah, yeah okay. um is about dating and owning your own business as a woman because mm-hmm. obviously the general like um societal kind of expectations towards things is if a man says to you that he runs his own business that's like oh you must have lots of money or like you clearly know what you want and you're there's going an after expectation. it yeah there's an expectation mm-hmm. of what that person's like and there is i guess to a degree and this is where we our our experiences with dating have been quite different working for ourselves where mina said that she felt like she hasn't had problems with people feeling intimidated by her job because how Without, like, being rude. How old are you? You're 30 now? Yeah. 30 now. I thought you used to be 30. I was like, daddy. <laughs> That's because That's I realise... I always forget how old you are. I always say you're 21, so. <laughs> I've just turned 24. Exactly. So yeah. we're talking about six years difference. Six years difference. And I have been working for myself since I was... This is one thing I couldn't... I can't oh. remember. Um, 21. 21, okay. Yeah. I've only been working for myself for about a year. So yeah. it's slightly different, just to contextualize everything. Yeah. So I think I think like from 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 my perspective, being younger means that I am personally not necessarily looking for a husband. Which I am. Which she. Way. Which Mina is. I'm in the market for a husband. Which is good. It's good. It's good to have friends with different interests in life because then you're not competing for the same boys when you go out drinking. Very true. The guy says, "Oh, I'm looking for something long term." I'm like, "Hi," and like, I'm like, walks out the door, yeah. runs down the Wrong street, person, yeah. allergic, 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 <laughs> red flags all over the place. So funny. Yeah. But one thing I have found is, I mean, I I don't ever want to discount out like actually dating someone. Um, it's more, I have a big belief that if that person's the right person for a longer term relationship or like whatever, that they will be totally fine with me doing what I do and the fact that I travel a lot for work and that's what I love and I'm not willing to give that up for someone. Um, but a lot of the time when I'm out and I'm meeting people like at clubs and bars and you know, that, that question where it's like, what do you do? And it can be anything. And I'm always like, oh, I work for myself. You know, I'm a photographer. Um, I travel a lot for work. I do all sorts of things. And I'm like, what do you do? And a lot of the time, the immediate response is, oh, well, I do this, but clearly you have your shit together. And then they get very closed off because I guess it's like a thing where they kind of might feel potentially like a bit emasculated by the fact that I'm very, like, sure of myself and that I know what I want and that I'm not afraid to, like, voice it or go after it or say no to something that I don't think is right for me. Um, whereas I get a lot of people who are, like, within sort of, like, 18 to 25 are still working out, out mm-hmm. working it out, which I am too because I've had, like, a million and one existential crises since moving here to London. So I'm definitely not, like, the pinnacle or the person child of... I am a successful entrepreneur and I do these things and I'm never wrong. It's, I'm still working it out. It's just, I don't work a normal job, I guess. I think, I guess the only comparison I would say from, now I've found there's a line of comparison between what you've said and from my age range is that generally guys, you know, when they're of a certain, like from 30 and up, um, 28 and up, they know, you know, they're in a certain line of job, they know their career. I think when I tell them that I'm working for myself, it's n- less intimidation, more like, wow, 
like kind of you've had the courage to, you know, I, what my I guess the feedback has been like, you've had the courage to go and like, they're admiring the fact that I've had the courage to go and do mm. something on my own especially for such a short time especially so it's not it's, it's not about career. them anymore it yeah. becomes about you and it becomes yeah. like something okay oh, that's really cool because mm. they generally have their shit together but it's they maybe haven't I think all of them have not taken that leap or they haven't taken that um, I, 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 they always say I thought about doing something for myself but I wasn't quite sure and mm. you know again with the age thing you don't really want to suddenly put like when you're in your early 20s you think yeah I can take the risk doesn't matter but when you hit 30s for whatever reason the mindset is mm, now I need to like think size you think about settling down yeah. think about having something a bit more stable like saying that you know at the age of 30 or 40 whatever that my job is up and down that one day income can come in cannot come in um you know that sometimes I have uh to travel for work and it could be last minute for a person who wants a long-term relationship it's like you said red flags it could be like oh god red flags because having a, a child with someone like that who with that sort of lifestyle is tricky because you know at what point they, they need to be accessible they need to be around and do you think it would be easier if you had similar jobs where you had similar lifestyles not really because then you mm. have the you have the problem that both of you are traveling but doesn't yeah. you travel to the same place um, you mean similar jobs in the sense that uh, well I, I mean like because you see a lot of like a lot of people who are like photographers or com- content creators <laughs> which is my most hated word in the history of the dictionary why um, oh, I just don't like it it's just like it's such an Instagram bullshit term oh, content, content creator it's like it's like, it's like saying like creating drama no, well no it's just like so many people have it in their Instagram by like entrepreneur and it just like oh, okay, you know okay, it's okay. like it's an ego it's an ego title no what is it called when you're a coach like you're some sort of like life motivational coach, speaker life coach and they're like 19 and I'm like dude yeah. you haven't lived like, like, yeah it's like people saying they're a content creator it's like okay cool you take photos <laughs> tell me what other content you do like do you know like when you take photos are you thinking strategically about how like this is going to go on a website or how this is going to be so- then sold like tell me your greater thinking aside from it's just like I'm not going to get into it okay, no, it's a buzzword that people Go use to make them seem more important than what they mm-hmm. actually are and that's my beef with it okay so your idea was that if you're both doing the same sort of line of work so yeah. if I had someone in the same industry owned, yeah I mean because a lot of people will then like I mean it suits a lot of people who are say both like photographers or whatever because then they can go off and travel and often they become power couples and they do the things together right so it's kind of like that I feel like like you I think you see those types of people drawn together because one similar life values especially with the fitness world as well like fitness couples that both really make so many fitness people they become bigger and grow their network more and their followers more yeah. as a couple as opposed to as a singular brand yeah and I, I completely agree with that and I understand maybe obviously if I met someone else who was it but then for me I like that that's my thing I don't mm. really want to share that like, wanna I don't want to have the other thing <laughs> someone else. I don't mind if they're doing like tech for kids that's quite cool like working or, with kids is cool but like just not that's your not my side, thing not psychological side per se but like if I can complement what they do mm. it'd be quite cool because it's nice not to have two completely different worlds but then I feel like because that I feel I find for me that em, like level of empathy yeah. when you're dating someone who understands what you do on that deeper level True. compared yeah. to just like oh she's a photographer, and it's like, oh oh she works with kids yeah <laughs> yeah oh she works with kids but you know having having that level of empathy I think is really important it's true but I feel like that level of empathy and understanding 
doesn't necessarily come from being in the same industry. It can just come from the natural state of the person. Yeah. That, you know, they can do something completely different, but because they respect you as a person, they respect your passion. I mean, they take I, tr- the time I know understand. nothing about construction or buildings. is of no interest to me. But then indulge in the other person's passion and have the understanding to be like, okay, let me, try you know, try, like, do some sort of research, be... Yeah of contributing so it's not too completely different ones. like that's the adapt- adaptability factor of yeah. being yeah I, I think uh, like I I'm, I find that I'm just very drawn to people who are so passionate about what they do they couldn't imagine doing something else because that's exactly yeah. how I feel about what I do so people like so my I always explain this to people because people ask me all the time what my type is and I talk about my ex-boyfriend a lot because he's a chef and I'm like, you don't become a chef because you're not passionate about that job. Oh my goodness. <laughs> because it's crap. You don't become a good chef. <laughs> it's like, I like, I remember I wanted, I didn't understand his job and what he did fully in terms of how like a commercial kitchen worked. So that's when I kind of like picked up more hospitality work and tried to like understand it more. I mean, I was studying at the time. I had nothing better to do. So I just, like... I mean, not I wouldn't, saying that. I wouldn't do it you, now. If you're a significant other or someone you're interested in, you should go and do the same industry as them. Or take, into take, take your girlfriend to work kind of day. Yeah, no. But, no, like, but when if I would, you happen to yeah. be in Caroline's position, go ahead. Just when I was 18, I was like, why not go and work in a kitchen for a while? It yeah. was grim. I worked in the kitchen. It was yeah. not the best of places. That's why I first had my job at seven years old. So It's yeah. grim. I, I just kept... The whole time I kept wishing I was, like being front of house yeah um because that's when you get to talk to people which has always more glamorous as well yeah but I, you know it's the talking to people part that keeps me going even now when i'm still like occasionally doing barista stuff it's like i love just talking to people and that's like i mean that is my biggest secret to networking it's how we met well we uh, met we met talking to people we got yeah. introduced but at the end of the day like your ability to be so like talkative and just getting along with everyone and the same as me I feel like one thing we share in common is adaptability and I feel like Mm -hmm. for anyone who wants to call themselves an entrepreneur or CEO or whatever business owner full stop (laughs) sorry we're drinking wine and that was quite loud (laughs) (laughs) the pop Um, but anyone who wants to get into that sort of working for yourself you need to be adaptable because anything can happen and you have to be you have to be okay with change and all sorts of things and knowing that you're not in control yeah funny enough you're in a you are the boss (laughs) you're not in control (laughs) sometimes you just you just don't know what's going on like I did a wedding um in April last year like four days before I moved to London that's crazy yes where was the wedding? Uh, in Melbourne okay and um it was a great wedding. It actually ended up being a great day, really great couple to work for. But I was stressed out of my mind because I didn't get things like itineraries from um, the bridal groom. I didn't really... The weather... Holy shit. So where were you? Like, did you know where to go? What time? I knew where to go. Okay. But, like, only vague times. So I, I knew the locations of where everyone was getting ready. Yeah. Um, I didn't get that till about three days before the wedding. Okay. Normally I'd get it, like, a couple weeks out. And then I... I um And I knew, like, where. So times and where... But then the weather was terrible. It oh, took me, no. it took me like two and a half hours to do a one hour drive normally, and then my friend who was supposed to um, assist me, thanks Will, <laughs> I get a text of him when I'm in the lobby for to wait to go up to the bride's hotel room saying that he can't make it, and I'm like freaking out. <laughs> what was his job? What was his? I don't know how he's he was. Job, I mean, so. he was just assisting me. So generally, like an assistant will. 
go to like maybe the boys while I'm photographing the girls or vice versa or okay. just general generally being in another part of the wedding yeah. that I can't always be in. And sometimes it can be so circles. capturing moments that you wouldn't necessarily yeah, and because you've got two. We'll, we'll tag team taking breaks and okay. that sort of thing. Um, and so, yeah, he messaged me being like, I can't come. And I was already feeling so stressed out about everything. But it was like, okay, panic attack is incoming. I was eating some candy and just being like, okay, it's fine. As soon as you can get some alcohol into you, get some alcohol into you, girl, because you're going to need it. Amazing. But it was actually really, really great. It was just that the couple, like, they were so trusting in my ability to adapt to whatever they threw at me and that I would I would just do my best and it would all come together that like they didn't worry as much as say some other couples that I've worked with that have been a bit more like sort of they organized ahead specific, of time they have, they have like a specific yeah thing in like the they they had no worries they they knew I was going to turn up time on time they knew I was just going to get in and slide on in and do, do everything that I could and I realized that after the day was over that it was such a huge compliment really for them to be like that entrusting on such mm. a special day that I would just be able to make it work. And I mean, I did. Like I, I was giving everyone like snacks during the day. I had like a sewing kit with me. I had all like dry oh shampoo, my gosh, all this stuff. Plus then. Yeah, just like all of this stuff that I know that people don't think about when they like necessarily get married because you do forget things. So Caroline, the question is, yeah. when I get married, do you want to be my photographer? Of course, on Slash record now. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. There's, there's no more. But it, but it is a huge skill to have to be able to like, if something changes all of a sudden, you lose your biggest client. Like, yeah. how are you going to get that money back as soon yeah, as possible? Exactly. Yeah. How are you, how what are you going to change? What did you learn? What did I'm going to interrupt do? you because this is yeah. really interesting. What did what in life? Uh, is it the, the, I, feel, I feel like okay, I have to think I'm gonna say this without stuttering all over it. Adaptability, I don't think it's something you're necessarily born with. I think it's a load of life experiences that either you become adaptable, you learn how to become adaptable, or you become a control freak, or you become both, which is what I am. So, um, for for you, what in life when you were younger, before you started working for yourself? Do you think prepared you to be adaptable? What situations were you exposed to that you were like, okay, I need to think on my feet and get it done? Get it done. Two things. Okay. So the first is um, also such a psychologist psychologist question. I know. I'm I sorry. I love it. I love it. It's really getting into my mind. I'm enjoying it. <laughs> Two things. The first is um, when I was growing up, from the about the ages of when I was born till nine or ten. My parents travel all over um, parts of Australia with my brother and I. So, like, every couple of years, sometimes a bit earlier, we would change schools um, when I was school-aged. Um, and we would move to a new place. So every time that happened, of course, you leave your old friends behind and you create new ones. Some of them I kept um, pen pals with. And then, like, when MySpace became a thing, I added them on MySpace. And then when Facebook became a thing, I did that. And I, like, continued those friendships. So it was the... It was that that factor that I was constantly having to like leave friends behind, create new ones, travel to a new space, being mm -hmm. in unfamiliar envir environments all the time that made me a very kind of, um, I was a very like, I was a child with a lot of perspective. Like I knew that my place in the world was much bigger than the little school that I was in at the time. This is how mentality yeah. is very Like true, I, yeah. I had that, at a, I, I kind of got that kind of level of kind of empathy at such a young age. Mm -hmm. um, but also meant that I, new it's that sometimes I talk about communication with people in a very like rigid kind of like stalkerish way where it's kind of like but it's kind of I knew I started to pick up on how how I needed to be in social situations 
um, in it's order to make friends. self-awareness that yeah. a young child wouldn't necessarily yeah. have. It's because I was forced into those situations exactly. multiple times. Like, I think I went to seven different schools wow. uh, and then two universities. And I lived in, oh, I can't even tell you how many towns, definitely over 20 different houses. Like, it was constant. And I loved it. So um, that was the first one. The first the one. one. second one was is that I was bullied really badly from at age uh, seven and eight. Mm-hmm. Um, at school to the point where my family actually moved schools because of it. Um, we actually moved towns because of it. Um, and it was quite severe. Um, and then that was then followed by another few years, like sort of early high school teething ages, mm. where I was bullied again a lot for my appearance, um, a lot uh, like just boys making really inappropriate sexual remarks, all sorts of stuff. And it led me to like eight years of like terrible mental illness kind of like issues. Mm. But I had to continually, especially after when I was, like, about seven or eight, I had to bounce back from that situation and not being, like, I was left out. What was that? Like, I, I, I've mentally blocked out a lot of this now. But, like, I remember, like, trying out to play on the netball team and people would not be handing me the ball because they didn't want me to play. Mm-hmm. Um, and things, like, um, consistently, I, I will never forget, like, bouncing a ball against a wall and pretending it was a friend because no one wanted to play with me at lunchtime mm-hmm. and stuff like that. And kids, like, teasing me in class and stuff. Um, and those two years, I think, then the fact that my parents had to move us and I was still able to, like, bounce back and make friends and find my place. And some of the people that I met after that part of my life are still some of my best friends today um it's it, like that's when I learned how to be resilient mm-hmm. um and which it then helped me get through those other darker periods of my life when I was 14 15 and then through till like 21 being able to like consistently keep going even though see it was shit yeah there's a there's a, a very important part to it which is resilience mm. because you can be adaptable but if you're not resilient there's only so much of a buffer. Resilience is a buffer that you need because when you're adaptable, you're usually adapting to a pretty shitty situation, yeah. no matter what your age. And the resilience is what keeps you, you. Your, head, your head above water, yeah. so to speak. So that's why when you said resilience, I was like, yeah. that's definitely what I, I relate to because you have to keep it up because once that resilience goes, you're just adapting. And for what sake are you adapting? And adapting is kind of almost, in a way, surviving. Like, I can recall... Survival state, yeah. yeah. Like, I can recall trying to adapt, like, the person that I was and my personality because I was always told that I was, like, the weird kid in school and stuff. So I started to, like, adapt to try and get in with the cool kids and, like, be interested in the same stuff. And then... I never felt like you actually... Well, then I kind of realised that, like, I'm like, this is not who I am. Like, I'm not into this crap. (laughs) <laughs> it's not till you're older that you realize like i'm so thankful that i was not considered and still am technically not considered a cool person like if someone says who's your like who's your cool friend no one says oh it's mina so like who's your psychologist <laughs> friend mina but like or who's your agony aunt but when i was growing up i was never like like i went to all girls private school okay? so it's just in case if you've been to a state school or a mixed sex school Trust me, all girls, it can be hard. It can be really hard because as I was growing up, you know, my parents never indulged me in brands. They never indulged me in um, buying me the latest gear or anything like that. We went on a lot of holidays. We had experiences as a family, but we never would 
you know, my, my if I wanted like a Gucci handbag, my mom would be like, "What the hell is this Gucci Pucci shit?" Like, I, I have no interest in it. So, I was amongst these people where image was a big thing, and I couldn't, I couldn't keep up. And I wanted to. I, I, I never forget writing in these diaries and drawing a like self portrait, which was like a stick man, of course, and being like, okay. So I change my curly hair, I get rid of my glasses, I do something with my nose, I do something with my breasts, because I had tiny tits when I was growing up, <laughs> tiny tits. And then everyone else was like all really full busted and really curvaceous, and like slimmed down my thighs, and I just had this image of like who I would be, and then how I would be accepted, but I, now I'm older, it's my saving grace that I wasn't, because had I been like everyone else, I would have been in the bog standard job like everyone else and must have been very unhappy right now. Not saying that that would have been a recipe for unhappiness, but I know but that for, you, life, for me personally, yeah. as what, what, where I am, where yeah. I am or where I wanted to go, it would happen like that. And um, so bullying was, fun enough, another thing for, for me. Um, I don't think it was as severe as yours, um, but it, for me it was a lot of verbal. It was never physical, always verbal, and I just felt like an outsider. I always yeah. felt like an outlier. That's why I understand human behavior quite well, I feel. So learning, but I do always observe people. It's my natural state to observe people. Yeah. I'm not naturally the one who goes into a party and is flamboyant and you know takes over and is their center of attention. I, I don't mind it. I can adapt to it, but it's not my natural state. I'd rather just see what's going on and then make my connections and get to know everybody. Um, the second thing is, is having a sister with autism um, and how that is so unpredictable. Mm. Um, there's many levels, many different states of on the spectrum um but for my sister you know for one moment I never forget like it was yesterday we're walking my mom hadn't come on the trip with us and it was me my dad and my sister and I think I was maybe I must have been about 17 18 might have been a bit older and um but I was definitely under 20 and we went to Italy and they had these guns as well there I'm sure they had some sort of heavy like machinery, machinery. And I mean they still have that yeah okay, I know but like, I don't pay attention to it now but when at this particular situation I paid attention to it so my sister as she went for security suddenly had a freak out like just started screaming and like shaking and my dad looked at me he didn't know how to cope with it I looked at him and I was like and these security guards with their guns closing in not knowing is she a threat what is it like you know and my dad's trying to say in Italian well my dad speaks perfect Italian, but trying to explain that, you know, she has autism, but obviously she's quite um, stressed. stressed and it's, it's stressful for everyone. And at that point, I was like, like, hug her, just hug her. Like, so I, I held her, I said, it's okay, and she calmed down. It was just a natural instinct. And for me, there's been so many moments with my sister on, especially in public places. When it's not in public places, it's not such a big deal. But when it's on a packed flight, when it's in a posh restaurant... I mean, when we're on a holiday resort and you just want one sort of sense of what is normality, mm. but you're constantly exposed to the moment you start to feel comfortable, you suddenly something happens that puts you on edge again. That I, as growing up as a child, and I know most siblings of people who have autism or on the spectrum will understand that it's you never can really rest. Like, you can... Like, if I hang out with a friend, I'm not feeling as responsible for them. You know, I'm quite cool-headed or whatever. But with my sister, even though she's older now, I still 
am aware of, like anticipating her behavior. And I think when you do that, and I think you do that with bullies as well, you anticipate the behavior, like what mm. are they going to do to me next? What are they going to say? You expect it. You expect it. But so you don't know exactly, exactly what it's going to be. Exactly. Yeah. And that's the unknown, being comfortable with the unknown, being comfortable with what could happen. You never really get it right. Sometimes you can be completely off, but having that preparation, because there's a difference of being completely relaxed and then suddenly going into like a heightened state, mm. as opposed to being in a middle version where you can be fight or flight, and then something happens and you can you don't have to come all the way from zero to ten. Yeah. You can go from five to ten, if that makes sense. Yeah. So I think that adaptability, and, and it's not great for your body because there's a lot of cortisol, there's a lot of stress hormones, there's your body's quite tense, um, and some of the time and I, I do find it quite difficult to relax sometimes but over the years of like having therapy and working on myself and becoming a more I guess wholesome holistic person it's helped me actually a appreciate these things because I used to feel massively burdened that mm. like what am I going to do uh, why can't I be like everyone else why am I not normal and then realizing I am more towards the state of normal than most people do you yeah. feel that you're your business and just your work in general flourished when you started spending more time on yourself for sure because I had the idea of doing a business originally it was supposed to be a nanny agency and then I realized that that wasn't the way to go about it because I was essentially I was the product I needed to sell my services what is essentially my clients call Mina time and in order to be advocating someone else on my behalf and someone usually because most of these nannies I wouldn't even know wasn't the case and I'm not a saleswoman in that way I'm not an agency so I realized that sorry what was the question <laughs> I just lost, completely lost. <laughs> do you do you think that your business and your work in general yeah. flourished yeah yeah by getting to know myself like, yeah because the more I looked inward the more I started to you know, write down what are my strengths, what are my weaknesses, what do I want to achieve? What makes you tick? Exactly. Mm. Why do I like working with kids? But what else do I like to do? Because I want my whole life to be about children. Um, what is it that interests me and what type of person I am? That I did it by trying things, trying mm. new things out. Um, I was never a person who'd go to the gym and now I love it and I understand, like, starting to understand the whole gym lifestyle and all the different types of sports. I'm still a rookie, but I really appreciate the amount of work, why people are so into it, and the mindset that comes with it, and the health benefits that come with it. So, yeah, I, I think, you know, it definitely contributed a lot, yeah. Do you feel that, um, going back on topic of being females and mm. running your own business, because I feel like we've gotten way off like topic, but it's turned into something else, but I'm really enjoying this conversation a <laughs> yeah. lot, because I feel like I'm agreeing, and then I'm learning, and I'm like, yeah. And I feel like it's a dissertation that we have to stick to topic too much, but then yeah. again, I feel like the general gist, you know. But do you, do you feel like, um, I mean, it might be quite different for you from my experience, but um, do you feel as a female um, and in work that people have treated you differently because of your gender? Um, or you've had to deal with issues that are, say, gender-specific, if that makes sense. I mean, care industries are normally... It's different because I, like, it's typical female. for... Yeah. You know, like, if I was male and I was a nanny, that's more stigmatised. Yes, still. exactly. And I've seen men in the industry and men obviously start trying to get into the industry and they have problems because it's like, you know... Some parents like, I don't know if I want him to work with my daughter. And I, I get it. But I you'd never it. get that with someone's no, son. No, I never have exactly. the issue. Of course, I never have someone's son. But in some ways, that's 
good, but it's not, because then you hear stories where you have female nannies and female carers who do horrendous things. So it's, I think it doesn't matter male or female, it is a more, is it more of a nurturing, not saying that men are less nurturing than females, but it's more nurturing, and currently in society, nurturing is associated with a feminine energy and a feminine person, um, or female in general. Um, but no, personally, like, I just think the only stigma I've received is that it's not highly regarded. Mm. So you go, as I said, you go through the list, so I'm a lawyer, I'm a doctor, whatever, I'm a nanny, and everyone's like, oh. And you get the odd person who's, like, actually looked into it or knows someone who is and actually respects the industry uh, or has kids of their own and is like, oh, my God, these are, like, my prized possession. Like, they're, they're like, my pride and joy. I, like, I completely get it. Mm. But generally, it's the it's not a conversation starter. Like, you go, oh, you like kids? What type of kids do you work with? Like, it's very, like... The kind of generic small talk. small talk yeah unless they have some sort of like their mother was an early years practitioner that's something that always happens to like yeah get i think i think all industries can suffer from that they're like I True. Get, you know what question i get asked a lot is whether i've ever photographed anyone naked what that's literally so often because because i mentioned that like i do portrait work and like i shoot models sometimes and yeah. they're like well have you ever shot anyone naked and i'm like only myself <laughs> but no seriously that is actually a question that i get asked a lot <laughs> yeah no <laughs> no seriously i shoot myself often but um but then okay so then the reason this question is is interesting in my industry and in yours is because for me no it hasn't been a thing it's more kind of what comes to the job and I will say specifically more towards nannying because when when you're a doctor either someone says oh you're a doctor okay I've got a problem with like this and can you come and yeah. look at it and they drop their pants you know like I have a cousin who's a doctor and she's told me so many hilarious stories <laughs> um but then with nanny it's like that kind of Disconnect, especially if someone's not okay with their, like had a crappy childhood and they're like mm, you know so it well especially now that I say child development psychology and that sort of thing it really becomes like a, oh wow the best thing is when you when I was studying psychology and they're like oh my god can you read my mind I'm like I'm not Darren Brown maybe he can't read your mind like like just no like why would you think that and it's funny when you say the word psychology and some people are like really open to it because they, they're open people they got a growth mindset they want to know about themselves mm. and there's people who are like oh my god you can see my like in the most darkest secrets or <laughs> well, then there's like, some that are every now and again that are just like I don't believe in psychology yeah I'm like as well, a science and I'm like Right. Yeah, yeah, you get the one past <laughs> okay, my this, and I'm like, this I don't quite know how to approach you, I'm going to this. But for your industry, how have you found it? Um, it's very mixed, because photography is one of those things where it is, like, I think it's better now. Like, when I first started getting into photography on a professional level when I was 17, it was very male-dominated. Like, I was, like, my first fashion week, I was, like, fighting other men for spots on the media riser when I was there. And now it's definitely opening up a bit. But um, I find, like, in, in terms of, like, client work, I find it's very hit and miss. Um, the girls that I work with are generally great, but a lot of the times I work with people who are, like, double my age because they're, my target sort of market is small to medium-sized business owners. Um, and generally that's people who are between, like, 35 and, like, 60. So some some of these people can technically be my parents. And so one big thing that I've struggled with personally, especially with male clients that I've worked with in the past, is that they find the fact that I am very well-read and well-versed on the subjects that I consult 
and practice on, which as one should be when they're a professional, um, to be, um, they struggle with their ego with it. And it took me a long time uh, to kind of be able to deal with that in a healthy manner with myself. So not in a, like reactive i'm not a very i'm not a very a reactive person i don't i don't like a lot of conflict i don't like fighting i'm not i'm not an angry person but um learning how to get my point of view across in a non-confronting way for that person making it personal making it well i try i I thought that i was never being personal Mm. because i was never really big like for for to use a case example like one day i was taught trying to tell a client that most people read their emails on their mobile phones instead of their desktops and he took the fact that I was citing some study like specific studies to him that certain websites that I knew he would have read um to him as like being I guess maybe a personal attack and so like for me I had to like really learn about how to communicate with people in a way that they would understand that I'm not trying to like make an attack on them I'm just mm. trying to make a statement that what you're telling me is not backed by these recent studies I guess it's, it's opinion against it's, facts it's and opinion against also facts. the level of defense is what I was looking for like do you you don't get defensive but they can get defensive because they feel like they're being questioned yeah. or they're having to I guess support what they're saying because it's usually because of the level they are in the company with face value yeah exactly most of the time okay. the people that i work with are generally like the ceo managing director um the head of that department or the head of the company so they are at the top and so then i come in and i'm young 20 year old could be their daughter kind of thing telling them that actually this is wrong and that this new stuff is actually coming through i totally understand and i'm empathetic to the fact that that can sometimes be difficult but that, for me, has been the hardest thing in my line of work. But isn't it funny that you, being the younger one, have that kind of level of insight and that level of understanding, and yet them being older and you would think, age and wisdom and all that nonsense, that, you know, you... That they don't have the understanding well, that, like, this this person's come here, she's young, she's obviously a bit, you know, maybe a bit nervous, and I should give her a bit more understanding and not make it about myself and just kind of give you that leeway, but they don't, they, they have that kind of... It's the ego barrier. Ego it's, barrier. It's the thing that's interesting is that it's like, you employ someone like me because you don't know enough about the, the things that I, I do. I think, I think them admitting that is they're not comfortable with. Yeah, you know, and if they were able to admit it and just say, "Look, it's okay. It's not. It's okay not to know it all. Like you don't. You're not a CEO because you know it all. You're a CEO because you're you're good at leading people yeah, and you have an idea. Exactly. Yeah, but then, yeah, it's it. You know, it's when you have a great business idea and then you bring on your second and your third and those sometimes are your most like crucial and difficult hires, because you want people who are going to work with you not against you or not for you necessarily. Um, but yeah, I kind of, I, I had to start tweaking how I represented myself to my clients as an, as a whole yeah. um, when I was doing more kind of uh, like consulting, practicing, PR kind of work rather than just a straight photography commission because it got to the point where I couldn't be everyone's like best friend and be really kind and very like understanding. Which is your natural state. Which yeah. is my natural state and but then also be like all of these studies and blah 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 and this person said this recently and this person said this because that's not it's not the same kind of character 
So I had to kind of start going into like initial consultation meetings, be citing those reports and actually doing that more, that higher, like that higher up groundwork rather than just sitting there listening to them explain. Because I think it kind of, my relationship with them got to the point where they just thought that they could tell me what to do and that I would just do it. But from in my head, what I was feeling was that, well, you're telling me to do something that is actually like, it's not going to get you the best engagement for this campaign. I'm not going to idly sit by and say to you, yes, okay, when I know that I could do something more to help because that's what I'm employed to do. And return on investment is a very big part of my job as well. ROI, I love that mm. phrase. Oh, that, ROI. Quite, uh, quite quickly when I start a business. It's, do you think if you were male, it would be different? Yeah. Would have been yeah. How? Because, uh, because a lot of the time, like when I pick a client, um, and I choose to work with someone, um, because I'm in the stage of my business now where I don't have to say yes to every project that comes my way. Um, I pick things that I believe in and that I'm like not invested in, in like a monetary sense, but just like, I think that this should be a thing and I think that it should exist and I want to help you in any way that I can yeah. to do it. Believing in the brand. So often when I, like, I like I terminate uh, an arrangement with a, with a client or they terminate an agreement with me, um, which is a very normal thing about being freelance and it's one of the hardest parts, I think, because it's kind of like a breakup. Yeah, especially <laughs> if you've been working with them for a little yeah. while. Yeah, yeah. One thing that I do do once I leave a company is I do just check in and make sure that everything's going okay. And so I will like still look at social media and I will like just like see what they're up to, what campaigns they're running, how they're going about it. Because it's a way of me learning for next time to see what hap- what they do and how That's they do it. Your homework because they might yeah. have had a big shift and you don't know. Exactly. And then suddenly you have to do all this catch-up work. Whereas if it's a client that you know you're most probably going to come and revisit again, it's good to know where they Where stand. they go. Yeah. And there have been a few instances where I've worked with people and it's ended for like a few different reasons, but most notably to do with sort of like um, me not feeling like my professional opinion was really being taken like notice of. And then when things were not turning out the way that they should be, um, getting negative feedback and me being like, yes, but I actually have said this to you multiple times. So we're not listening kind of to you, but they're yeah. going to blame you when things so are okay. So those sorts of arrangements where those relationships have ended, often they will then hire a male after me. Interesting. Mm. Okay. And, um, and you know this how because you find out generally because you just can, generally because I make friends because I don't see my whenever I see myself placed in a company no matter how long it's for I'd like to think of myself as a part of the company yeah. because that's my that's how I think PR and comms is done best when it's not done by an agency it's done by someone who understands the brand um, but sometimes having someone in house is not feasible for small businesses and sometimes not an agency is feasible for in for a business so I'm kind of that in between yeah. so. Um, I find out generally because like I'm friends with someone in the company still, or like it's on social media or something like that. And it's, it's just interesting how say projects that I might have been trying to get underway and started on while I was there, that I was constantly getting knocked back from all of a sudden escalated as soon as there was a male, um, driving it. And that could be for two re like two reasons. The first is that maybe they were just a bit more like gung ho about it than maybe I was, because I'm very respectful that. Sometimes people not, might not have the budget straight away or they might just not want to, like, uh, put all of their time and energy into a project right yeah. away. Or a lot of the time 
it has definitely felt from my end that it's because their opinion about what should and shouldn't be done and the timeline of things as a male has been taken much more seriously by the owner of the company mm-hmm. and therefore their opinion is more highly regarded than mine. And most of the time these people are also older than me, which also I think plays a bit of a Do you think part. it could be timing as well though? Because if they've got used to someone, if someone's already technically softened them up or had like challenged them in the way that you have... And then the next person comes in, kind of, I guess, in some ways builds upon that, but they happen to be a male mm. and be a bit older and a bit more experienced. You've kind of facilitated them in some ways. I mean, this is obviously like being very specific to, but I mean, we were just speculating. Yeah. And it's from your feelings, but is, is it a timing thing as well? That like maybe at that point they didn't have the funding, but then it's after but you when left, they, like, yeah. something happened. I mean, I guess it depends. Like, I've been in situations where things that I've worked on that never eventuated, eventuated months later. Yeah. Okay, and then on. there were things that I've worked on that, like I started but there was like constant roadblocks that were then finished within a week of me leaving and someone new coming in kind of thing so it's it's a bit of both and then there are times where you have to kind of like reevaluate like yourself and your work and think okay like okay I know this was happening I know I was trying to do this but did I communicate that clearly enough like maybe was I not the right fit there's a lot of different variables that But that's go on. a really important point because a lot of people will blame and say they weren't the company for me. In my industry, they weren't the family for me. That's really wrong because actually there's always a learning curve. There's always mm-hmm. something that you can learn from it and it can be the self-awareness side of things that how did I conduct myself in a manner that this relationship got to the point it did? Um, what could I have done better? Even if they, they were completely in the wrong you could still say there must be something that I could have left on a nicer note that if again this happens, that yeah. if we have an issue, there's a misunderstanding, something goes haywire, how can I leave this in an amicable way yeah. so that I can still be recommended that, yeah, my, my work didn't suit them or they couldn't do anything with me, but then she was very pleasant. She was like, okay, yeah. you want to have that professionalism in any industry. Exactly. You don't want to leave like fire and everything and I think I think that's the hardest thing because um like literally I've been told by a client once that I was not pretty or cool enough to do my job well enough horrible thing wow horrible uh but yeah that has many that has many issues but the, the thing is is that like when you work for yourself you don't have the freedom to bite back at that you have to, because because of that reason, because you want to leave amicably, no matter how bad the situation is, you want to end things on a good note. You have to put up with a lot more you than do. you would if you're working for a company because you're I like, couldn't. the company deals with it. Yeah. You know, like... You have a HR department. department. Exactly. Yeah. Whereas you are the HR you're department. <laughs> and you are everything. And I would never, say, ask that person for a reference ever, but I also didn't want to, like, bite back because at that comment. Talk. Yeah. Because it's not appropriate. Yeah. The bigger thing to do is to just say, I am leaving this conversation now and we will talk later when we're in a more productive mood. And on that note, maybe we should <laughs> finish this, this off. Thank you so much for listening. This is like going to be, I think, the first in like a series of little chats that I have with some friends. Some will be videos and some will be recordings like this. But I hope you enjoyed it. If you do have any feedback for next time, please leave a comment. And I'm going to put in the show notes all of Nina's information in case you do need to get in touch with her about 
anything to do with your potential children but she does run a great instagram account that is super motivating and i absolutely love reading her posts every single day they always put me in a great mood so you should definitely give her a follow there if you're needed for some motivational inspiration in your life goodbye i guess (laughs) are you going to say goodbye Yes. Oh, one one note though. Yeah. I don't usually sound like this. I I, I am starting to get a cold. So I don't it's usually time. have. Yeah. So when when my voice is more into it, it will sound a lot better. What do you mean you don't sound this sexy all the time? No, I sound like, oh, I'm so sorry. I'm disappointed. Anyway, <laughs> thank you for listening. Bye. <laughs>